from Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Australia's two largest states are getting ready to end their long lockdowns. Both Victoria and New South Wales are due to reopen within weeks, when 80% of eligible residents are fully vaccinated. But what about the 20% of people left out, those yet to receive their vaccines? Today, senior reporter for the Saturday paper, Rick Morton, on who the 20% really are and how they fell through the cracks of the national vaccine rollout. It's Tuesday, October 5. Rick, Australia's vaccine rollout has taken a long, long time to ramp up and we started late, but how are things looking now? The good news is on the way. You know, the country is well on track to hit that key figure of 80% of the eligible population being fully vaccinated before the end of the year. The speed at which it will happen varies state by state, but in the two states hit by the biggest outbreaks, who happen to be our two largest states, New South Wales and Victoria, it will likely happen by the end of October and the beginning of November. And that's when life will start to look quite a bit different, especially for vaccinated people. So they'll be given the freedom to move around, to visit each other, to go to restaurants, you know, with density restrictions and all the rest of it, and some little light overlays of public health measures, but freedom to a degree. And that's obviously something a lot of people are looking forward to, given how long residents in those states have been in lockdown. But it does raise questions about what happens to that other 20%, those one in five who aren't going to be vaccinated by then. And who are those people, Rick? What do we know about the 20% of people who aren't going to be vaccinated in time for, for New South Wales and Victoria to reopen? Despite what you might think, it's actually less likely to be people who are vaccine hesitant or anti-vaxxers or what researchers call objectors. They may make up a proportion of that group. Of course, they're always there. But most of those people are actually likely to be some of the most marginalised communities and the people most at risk of serious ill health and even death if they catch the virus. You know, we're talking about the poorest, the sickest, people with disabilities and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who haven't been able to get access to the vaccine despite the fact that they were supposed to be in the priority groups at the start of the year. Right. So how did that happen? Let's start with people with disabilities, for example. So they were allocated to phase 1A of the initial rollout. Um, those populations in that first phase uh, are quarantine and border workers, uh, frontline health officials, as well as those working in aged care and disability care, um, and those in aged care and uh, disability care residents. They were supposed to be one of the first groups vaccinated by the end of March was the original timeline. Um, and we hoped by the end of February, uh, end of March, I should say, to, to have reached some 4 million uh, population. But last week, evidence presented to a Senate committee found that only two-thirds of National Disability Insurance Scheme participants who were living in shared accommodation, and that's one of the key indicators of risk, were fully vaccinated. That's about 30% who are not inoculated against this really dangerous virus. Then when you take a look at Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, another group that was prioritised in phase 1B and also 2A, the discrepancy is even worse. 45.9% of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians have been vaccinated with the first dose and 29.1% with the second dose. So 
COVID Shield Commander, Lieutenant General John Fruin, who the federal government appointed to head up the rollout, told the Senate that just 29% of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the country have had a second dose of any COVID vaccine. The Commonwealth, State and Territory Health Departments and community representatives have jointly identified and commenced acceleration activities in 30 priority areas to increase vaccination rates of Indigenous Australians. Now, these discrepancies have been slowly building throughout the year, but they only really became obvious to the rest of society when the Delta outbreak began and exposed how far behind we actually were in vaccinating these groups. Mm -hmm. So now that we're seeing Delta spread in New South Wales and in Victoria, the inequity in the rollout is becoming clear because those are the people who are getting sick. Correct. Lots of chief health officers have said repeatedly that this virus finds the unvaccinated. It preys on them. I don't want to leave anyone behind as we get that target of 92% because the question I'll always raise is when we get to that 92% and 93%, who is in that 7% that hasn't been vaccinated and is it because they haven't had enough access? And And so because in this outbreak, particularly in New South Wales, we've watched this spread like wildfire through vulnerable communities, regional communities in New South Wales in the, the west, the far west and northwest, where many Aboriginal people live. There's growing concern from authorities tonight over rising COVID case numbers in our regions, with far western New South Wales especially vulnerable. Somebody, somebody, just anybody, get this out there. This is, this is what's going on in Wilcannia. So the virus really swept through, just as an example, it swept through the remote Aboriginal town of Wilcannia, where more than one in six residents have now been infected. Reinforcements to battle the outbreak in the outback. Food supplies for tiny Wilcannia, 11 hours drive from Sydney, where as many as... So in a few weeks, there were over 150 cases of COVID-19 in a town of around 750 people, and the majority of those infected were Aboriginal. With overcrowded housing making isolation difficult. We were calling out um, in March last year, 18 months ago, about prevention for our community. So, Rick, we're talking about groups of people who we knew were at risk. They were prioritised at the start of the vaccine rollout for that very reason. But despite that, vaccination rates for these groups, they're lower than for everyone else, and now they're getting sick. So why is that? What went wrong with the rollout itself? I mean, I think the very that very data point tells you the story, right? They were the priority. But we had to go to them and we didn't go to them. And as soon as they opened up the rollout to the rest of the population who were able to go to a GP clinic or to a state vaccination hub or now to a pharmacist, that was fine. You could do that. You had the motivation, you had the access, you could do it. But there are so many people for whom there are so many barriers and we didn't go to them. And on top of that, there was a whole bunch of poor communication, poor outreach, of course, and mixed messaging. Uh, And... People in uh, disability care that supported accommodation, they were actually deprioritised by the federal government. They, the Department of Health admitted that in a Senate hearing in April. And what about disability? You don't break that down and there's nowhere I've been able to find that would give an indication of what's happening in disability facilities. So disability facilities has been a much slower start than we would have liked. Mm-hmm. I think we spoke about... 
And they said, look, we were actually really worried about aged care because, of course, we had there were almost 700 people die in aged care in Victoria alone last year. And they were extremely spooked by that happening again. That the initial slow start in aged care residents required us to pivot to make sure we focused on them um, on the basis that they have been both in practice and on our advice the most vulnerable group. And even though aged care staff and residents were on the same priority level as disabled staff and residents, the Commonwealth made a decision to focus the resources of the rollout on aged care, but they never told anyone about that decision. And so there was not even any opportunity for disabled people, advocates and other people in that sector to even argue the case. So the disability um, piece is now returning our attention to that in greater attention. So it has been done. There have been small numbers of disability facilities. Okay. What, what would they be? Um, There's nowhere I've been able to find any information on this. But now the federal government is throwing millions of dollars at private companies to try and resolve precisely these issues in a, you know, this desperate attempt to boost vaccine numbers in the communities where they've been lagging behind as soon as possible. And it's come really late in the piece. We'll be back in a moment. This year, the Saturday paper celebrates 10 years as Australia's leading independent newspaper. In that time, it's built a peerless reputation for quality journalism, for telling stories that are ignored elsewhere. It's the essential account of the week in politics, culture and news. When you read the Saturday paper... You don't need to read anything else. Subscribe today from just $2.10 per week. Visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash subscribe. The Saturday Paper. The whole story. As a a 7am listener, you're already familiar with many of the journalists who work for The Saturday Paper. For a limited time, subscribe to Australia's leading independent news source, The Saturday Paper, and you'll receive The Saturday Paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. Rick, we're talking about the 20% of people who won't be vaccinated by the time we begin reopening. Overwhelmingly, those are people in marginalised communities. You've said that the federal government is now spending what sounds like a lot of money to try and solve this problem. So can you tell me more about that? What is the plan exactly? Yeah, so it's pretty clear that the government is desperately trying to plug these vaccination gaps and a flurry of tenders and contracts have been announced for PR and communication services companies to try and get those rates up. So in September, the Department of Health entered a nine-month $770,000 contract with Carbon Creative and that's specifically for public relations on COVID-19 vaccine communication targeting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. Now, This is September when they entered this contract, as in the month just gone, when Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders were meant to be vaccinated in some of the first priority groups. Now, really interesting to me is that 10 days later, it took out another tender with First Nations Media Australia. And in that notice, they actually said that the reason they were doing this on September 16, 2021, as a limited tender was because of extreme urgency or unforeseen events which is really just another way of saying, oh, we didn't really prepare. 
So the government is running around now acting like and claiming that, that these are all unexpected issues, that it was unforeseen, quote unquote. But it was entirely foreseeable. This is not something where we're talking with the benefit of hindsight. There was foresight, or at least there should have been, and it should not have taken outbreaks and deaths to force them to finally see that. Mm. Right. And so it sounds like the proposed solve here is to pay these companies to to do outreach, to convince people in these communities to get vaccinated now that there is actually enough of the vaccine to go around. And there is this kind of underlying supposition here from the federal government that this isn't their fault. This isn't a problem that they could possibly have seen coming. But we know that's not the case, right? No, no. Uh, I mean, it's just absolutely untrue. And for those representing the most at risk in Australian communities, you know, the aged, disabled and Indigenous, this is a particularly galling characterisation. You know, I, I don't buy the, the, the argument that, you know, I mean, the, the, this is about preparedness, isn't it? Yeah. So, um... Damien Griffiths, the chief executive of the First People's Disability Network, told me that he doesn't buy that argument one bit. He said he'd been warning governments of this issue right from the start. There's a number of things that we flagged at the First People's Disability Network back in May last year. So they included not only the issue of fair and equitable access to vaccines. We were really in fact, they wrote their policy positions on all of these issues in May last year. We kind of understand the devastation of pandemics and, mm. and whatnot in the history of First Nations communities. So we were anxious to really put it on the public record very early that there needed to be a specific, well-thought-through process to reach First Nations people with disability. And they'd been flagging this risk. They knew in their own communities. And many health advocates for Indigenous people and for people with disabilities have actually warned about this outcome for the last 18 months, over and over and over again. So seeing this last-minute scramble while people they represent get sick to them is it's not just galling, but it's also, unfortunately, it's not shocking because they weren't being listened to along the way. Mm, Yeah, I can imagine. And when you think about what we're seeing play out right now, the Delta variant spreading, people dying, is this now too little, too late? Because it's only a matter of weeks until New South Wales and Victoria open up. So there's not a lot of time to really turn this around, Rick. Well, yeah. And that's, you know, that's just obvious on the timeline. This job was meant to be finished months ago. And it's not. And people have died. And it's impossible to know um, how many disabled people have been caught up in all of this, because even though they were abandoned as in the priority group, we can't tell now how many ultimately wound up seriously injured or dead. The data is just not presented in a way that allows that proper analysis. But it's this inequity, it's obvious, it's the last-ditch attempt to fix it, says so much about, you know, who gets protected before we reopen, you know, as a country. And the kind of, it's almost like that last minute, it's like, oh, God, we haven't fixed this yet, when it should have been proactive along the way. I feel very uncomfortable about the way we view some of our most vulnerable people in Australian society. You know, we need to value every Australian life. 
And the people who are at grave risk are the disadvantaged anywhere, as Damien Griffiths told me. And he said he finds it difficult to think of any group that's more outside of public consciousness than Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are disabled. And we need to um, address that problem urgently now as a priority, but also learn the lessons of this, of what kind of society we want to be moving forward, I think. So if those people are the ones who end up bearing the brunt of the illnesses and deaths in our community as we open up, then that's an indictment on us. It's an indictment on society and it's particularly an indictment on the federal government's vaccine rollout. It didn't have to be that way. Rick, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Ruby. I appreciate it. Andrew O'Hagan's latest, Caledonian Road, explores one man's epic fall from grace. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's Read This, I sit down with Andrew to discuss this and the state of modern Britain. All that and more, wherever you listen. Also in the news today, the New South Wales Deputy Premier John Barillaro announced his resignation on Monday. The Nationals' leader cited media scrutiny and his ongoing defamation case involving YouTube personality Friendly Geordies as major factors in his decision to resign. Barillaro has said that he'll call a party room meeting for this Wednesday where a ballot will be held to find his replacement. He says he has no plans to make a switch to federal politics. And a philanthropic group will offer fully vaccinated Australians the chance to win $1 million as part of a new lottery. The campaign, which launched yesterday, will feature a $4.1 million prize pool, with the top prize of $1 million to be drawn on November 5. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.